This is an Alexandrian Media original podcast. Happy New Year. I just wanted to take the time to thank all of my wonderful listeners for sticking around with me in 2020. This podcast will celebrate its one-year anniversary at the end of April, but in the meantime, I am so excited for all the great stuff coming this way in 2021. I ask now, at the top of the new year, that if you've enjoyed this podcast, that you consider becoming a member of my Patreon page. Memberships start at only $1.50 a month, giving members early access to ad-free versions of every episode and a Patreon podcast named Unscripted. Levels then go up to $3, $5, and $10, with more and more benefits being added at each level, including discounts in the merch store, content schedules for each month, transcripts of unscripted episodes, and free copies of my ebook anthology, Tales of Love, Lost Magic, and Reality. All the money I get from Patreon subscriptions enables me to continue growing this podcast, and it provides another avenue of income for me. To sign up, just go to patreon.com slash the Composer Chronicles. Again, that's patreon.com slash the Composer Chronicles. I hope to see you there. The very idea of death is frightening to most humans. It's natural that we contemplate the very nature of death and question what lies beyond. But we will never know what that is until it happens. And that's what scares us the most, the unknown. We live our daily lives wondering if our actions and accomplishments are worth anything after our deaths, and every one of us seems to have a different idea of what a successful life looks like. Again, this frightens us. Do our good deeds reserve us a space in an eternal afterlife? Do our bad deeds hinder us any sort of peace in death? Will we or our accomplishments be remembered in the history books, or will we simply disappear in time? We will often spiral out of control asking ourselves these questions and others, grasping at unknowable answers. But at some point in our lives, whether it's a fleeting moment in our youth, or just moments before death, we find peace with it all. We accept what is coming to us, and we move on. French composer Gabriel Fauré captured this very moment of peace in his Requiem. A typical Requiem Mass, which is a Catholic Mass for the dead in Latin, contains text that reflects upon the fear of death itself. One of the most recognizable sections in any Requiem is a Diesire, meaning Day of Wrath, which depicts the final judgment day where those who have been saved will live in peace in heaven and those who haven't will live in eternal pain in hell. Composers such as Mozart and Verdi saw this text as the perfect opportunity to depict their own fears in death. And today, 
their Dies Irae's are among some of the most recognizable pieces of music in history, with their flares of trumpets and percussion and thunderous walls of choral singing. However, Faure did not wish to depict this side of the Requiem. Why send off a departed soul with ferocity and anger when we should be creating a space of peace and tranquility? That's just what Faure did. His omissions of full sections and rewording of text transformed the standard fear-inducing requiem into one of peace and happiness. There is a question that many historians and scholars of Faure's music attempt to answer in regard to this requiem. What drove him to accomplish this non-traditional task, despite knowing that he would certainly get backlash from his colleagues for his choices? From Alexandrian Media, this is The Composer Chronicles, a podcast that delves into the stories of composers past and present. I'm Stephen Chigar, and this is episode number 32, Repos en Fe. Composition of a requiem is often initiated when someone is dying or has already died. For example, Verdi's requiem composed in the memory of Alessandro Manzoni, Saint-Saëns' requiem composed in the memory of his friend Albert Libon, or Mozart's version mysteriously commissioned by Count Franz von Walzig for the anniversary of his wife's death. As this tradition was often held so dearly in the musical world, and it still is in today's world. It was one of the first thoughts that Faure's colleagues, critics, and audiences would impose upon his requiem. While it is coincidental that his mother died around the time Faure had begun work on the requiem, he had already begun the work on it before her death on New Year's Eve in 1887. In fact, one of the sections, the Libera May, had been previously written as an independent work ten years earlier. Faure would go on to make a statement later in life that his requiem was written for no one and for nothing. It was simply written for the pleasure of composing something beautiful. When one listens to this work, it's hard not to believe that such peace and religious reflection was all for pleasure. In fact, Faure would mention that the composition of his requiem was perhaps a response to the many burial services he performed the organ for while employed at the Église de la Madeleine in Paris. But to this day, nobody knows what truly inspired Faure to compose the requiem. And by the sounds of it, I don't think Faure did either. 
That's okay. Sometimes it's hard to believe that works of art are created for the sake of art itself and have no true connection to anything related to the artist, and Faré's Requiem may just be one of those pieces. Regardless, Faré's life surrounding the creation of the work is quite interesting, considering the fact that this piece was written to be a peaceful response to death rather than the traditional fearful one. I'm going to rewind back a few years to 1883, to the time when Faré married Marie Fremier. Marie, who was the daughter of the accomplished sculptor Emmanuel Fremier, loved her domestic life, and she wished to share that love with her new husband. But Faré despised domestic life, coining his distaste for it with the phrase, horror of home. Because of his dislike of domestic life, Faré traveled significantly and was frequently absent from his family. This would lead Faré through a string of love affairs with other women while his wife remained home with their firstborn son, Emmanuel Faré Fremier, born the year that the two were married. Although Faré had little romantic involvement with Marie, he cherished her greatly as a friend. He wrote to her nearly every day when he was away from home, keeping her updated on every moment of his life. But it should be no surprise that Marie became quite resentful of Faré's absence and escapades. In order to support his family, Faré spent most of his time running daily services at the Madeleine, a position he inherited from his predecessor and colleague Camille Saint-Saëns. To provide some extra help, he also gave piano and harmony lessons privately. Unfortunately, despite his constant output, his career as a composer earned him next to nothing. His publisher would only pay him 60 francs per song and would pay no royalties. Songs weren't the only thing that he was composing at this time. He attempted to write several large-scale works, along with an abundance of solo piano works. But much of the music composed around this time was destroyed after only a few performances. Luckily for us, Faré would keep material from several of these works to reuse in later works. Amongst the large-scale works from this time period was his Requiem, which, as I stated earlier, started in 1887. However, the version of the Requiem as we know it today was not the version that Faré had started that year. By 1888, Faré had completed what would be the first version of the work, which he called Un Petit Requiem. This certainly is an appropriate title for the work, because it was indeed a little requiem. It contained only five movements, and barely used any of the major parts that one would find in a standard requiem. But Faure wasn't done with this piece just yet. He still had high hopes for it, and he used his position at the Madeleine to ensure his requiem was perfect. We'll learn more about this work's history right after the break. What would a world without music be like? 
I certainly don't want to know. This podcast would not exist. Luckily, we don't have to find out what that world is like. I do a lot of listening in a day between all of my favorite music and podcasts, and it's not just for entertainment. I'm constantly doing research for this podcast and switching back and forth between apps to listen to a podcast episode and then a piece of music can get tiresome if I'm trying to quickly switch back and forth. From an episode of Hey Riddle Riddle, to Stravinsky's The Firebird Ballet Suite, and then to Lady Gaga's latest album, I can listen to them all on Amazon Music whenever and wherever I want. I start listening when I get into my car, and then when I get home, I switch over to my Alexa while I cook dinner for me and my fiancé. Listeners of this podcast can join me in listening to all of the best music and greatest podcasts on Amazon Music Unlimited right now when you sign up today at getamazonmusic.com slash the Composer Chronicles and get your first 30 days for free. You can get unlimited access to any song and do all of that listening without any ads. So again, go to getamazonmusic.com slash The Composer Chronicles and start listening on Amazon Music Unlimited today. mentioned, the first version of Fauré's Requiem only consisted of five movements, including the Introit and Kyrie, the Sanctus, the Pie Jesu, the Agnus Dei, and the In Paradisum. You may also remember from the top of the episode that he had also written the Libera May ten years prior to these other five movements, but even in this version the Libera May had not been added yet. This version received its premiere on January 16th, 1888. This was no ordinary premiere. It was performed at the funeral of the architect Joseph de Zufache at the Madeleine. Today, because Faure's Requiem is often performed as a concert work, it's strange to imagine that such a work would receive its premiere in this way. But the piece is fundamentally a liturgical work and designed to be performed at functions like this. Faré conducted the work himself with Louis Albert as the treble soloist that evening. If you're familiar with the work, you may be saying right now, um, Stephen, there is no treble soloist in Faré's Requiem. And you would be right by saying that. However, at the time, female singers were not allowed to perform at the Madeleine, and Faré was limited to boy trebles and altos for the higher voice parts in this work. At this performance, the forces required were very small, and at this premiere, it used a choir of 40 boys and men, a solo boy treble, a harp, a timpani, an organ, and a minimal string section. Later, in May of that year, Faré would add in horn and trumpet parts to bring it just one step closer to an orchestral version. Over the course of the next few years, the Requiem would undergo some expansions. 
1889, Faure added the hostias portion of the offertory, and the following year he would expand the offertory into the movement we know it as today. In that same year, he added the Liberame, after the Agnus Dei, thus completing the structure modern audiences are familiar with. By 1893, Faure believed that the Requiem was finally ready for publication. In this version, a baritone solo, two bassoons, four horns, and two trumpets were added to the original scoring. At this point, the Requiem had made its way out of the church and onto concert stages. When performed at a concert, Faure would insist that the chorus be a mixed chorus with a female soprano soloist. While the work was written with boy trebles and altos in mind, Faure still believed that the soprano lines, especially the solo in the Pie Jesu, demanded breath control and technique that was easier for an adult woman to execute than a young boy. This 1893 version would be solidified as the church version of the Requiem, already requiring more musicians than could possibly fit in most churches today. But Faure wasn't done yet. At the end of the 1890s, Faure's publisher Julien Hamel suggested that Faure score the Requiem for performances in concert halls. While the work was already being performed in concert halls, the number required for such a performance was too small. Concert venues were getting larger, and choral societies at the time were growing as well, and this required a much larger orchestra to combat these new circumstances in order to not be drowned out. When this final version was completed, many critics began to speculate whether or not Faure completed this new version himself, or if it was completed by one of his pupils. Many argued that the vocal score, edited by Jean-Roger Ducasse, shared many of the same changes that this final version had, and other scholars believed that this version could have easily been completed by someone within the publishing firm. Unfortunately, the autograph of this version has been lost, and this mystery is left unsolved, but the result of this revision gives us a version that can easily be performed by most orchestras today with a mixed choir, solo soprano, and solo baritone. Composing a requiem at the age Faure completed his own must have been very difficult. While it's not very far from the age that Mozart completed his own, a work like this must cause one to think about their own humanity. I personally believe that this is why Faure had such a positive approach to this requiem. He was living such a wonderful life, with enough love and passion to sustain multiple lifetimes. Although by standards we still have implemented today, he's considered adulterous and immature. In an interview, Faure states that while writing his requiem, he sought to escape what was considered correct and proper. To him, death was just the next step to true happiness, and death is not to be a painful experience. It is to be a peaceful one. By composing a work such as this Requiem, he aimed to create the peace that we humans strive for when contemplating death, and he did just that. On November 7th, 1924, when Faure was at the age of 79, he died in Paris of pneumonia. He was given a state funeral at the Église de la Madeleine, the church that had been so much a part of his life. It seems appropriate that on this day, and within that church, Faure's own requiem was performed, 
sending his soul off into the afterlife, providing peace to a soul who had been so restless in life. This episode of The Composer Chronicles was written, researched, and produced by me, Stephen Shigarth. The show's wonderful theme music was written by Daryl Banner. If you've enjoyed this episode, consider leaving a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts, Podchaser, or any other platform that allows you to rate and review podcasts. If you've really enjoyed this episode and want some more of The Composer Chronicles in your life, become a member of my Patreon page. For only $1.50 per month, Members get early access to ad-free versions of every episode. Plus, they get access to the Patreon podcast unscripted. Sign up now for these and other benefits at higher levels of giving. Becoming a member helps the show to grow, and each new subscription ensures I can continue making this podcast. Be sure to follow the Composer Chronicles on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter using the handle Podcast. All updates about the show are provided on those platforms. Next week, we are washing ashore onto the banks of Ethel Smith's opera, The Wreckers. Although the opera was written in French, she had no luck with being able to premiere the opera on French stages, relying on her contacts in Leipzig to get the opera produced in a German translation. But future productions of the opera would only get more and more difficult to produce. Thank you for listening, and I'll see you next time. Alexandrian Media, Art and Culture for the Modern Era.